Welcome to Important Not Important. My name is Quinn Emmett. And I'm Brian Colbert Kennedy. And there's Teddy. Hey, Ted. Uh, oh. Hey, pal. Look at that smash face. You. You've been napping. Uh, hey, uh, today's topic, Brian, outsmarting cholera. Yep. Yep. Here's the thing. Cholera's still around. Oh, I thought it was dead. Yep. And still really sucks. Yeah. Yep. Um, but there's hope on the treatment side, at least. Uh, and what's that hope's name, Brian? Uh, that, that hope's name is Dr. Min Min Yen. Yeah, that's right. Dr. Yen is the CEO of her medical startup, Phage Pro, where she's developed viruses uh, to target cholera bacteria because antibiotics, mm-hmm. surprise, uh, are fighting a losing battle. Huh. She's got a PhD in molecular microbiology from Tufts University, and uh, she started her own lab because, bang, that's how she rolls. Why wait around for stuff when you can do it yourself? This is another one of those really fun ones where I feel like we should develop a small segment in the... Uh, in the middle of the podcast where we just say, Hey Brian, how would you develop a virus? to?" (laughs) Yeah, that's what we should do. Like Literally. What is the first step? I have no idea. Is it by a microscope? Is it microscope, right? I think it's first. It's don't be me, be a whole different person. (laughs) Step number one, so many different, make all of the choices different. Oh, yeah, man. she's very smart, and she's, like, literally just getting started. Yeah, I love uh, talking to these folks who are going to be uh, going to be world changers. Yeah. Uh, pretty pretty awesome stuff. Awesome. All right. Let's get into it. Let's do it. Let's talk to Dr. Yen. Rock and roll. Our guest today is Mimi Yen, uh, and together we're going to talk about outsmarting cholera. Uh, Mimi, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for the invite. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, you say that now. Give it an hour. <laughs> just you wait. No, we're very happy to have you. Um, okay, so Mimi, uh, uh, just tell us real quick who, who you are and what you do. Sure. Um, so right now, I am currently the CEO of Phage Pro, and we're a biotech startup that uses phages or viruses that specifically target and kill bacteria in order to um, alleviate the diseases in global health. So specifically looking at cholera right now. Very good. First question, what's a phage? (laughs) (laughs) Brian's going to need you to dial it back real quick. (laughs) So phages, they have been known about since the 1920s. And they are... By you, maybe. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) They're viruses that, just like we have animal viruses that go after our human cells, bacteria also have viruses that specifically target and kill bacteria only. Mm-hmm. Those are called bacteriophages or phages for short. Okay. Um, so they were discovered in the 1920s and looked at for a long time for therapeutic applications, um, especially for antimicrobial purposes. But then antibiotics came along in 1940s. So the U.S. and most of Western Europe really focused all of their attention on antibiotics because it was like this magic bullet. Mm-hmm. Uh, Whoops. Whereas Eastern Europe, interestingly enough, because they're like, we don't want to be like the West, we're going to not focus on antibiotics and focus on developing these phages further. So actually right now in the Republic of Georgia, what they have set up is like a center that you go in and if you have a bacterial infection, they have this whole library of phages that they screen to tailor the phage therapy for your particular bacterial infection. So that's pretty cool. Wow. Brian's going to have a lot of questions in this one. (laughs) 
I'm excited <laughs> to get the answers to them, though. <laughs> Me too. I, hope I have the answers. <laughs> well, that's why you're here. So pull it together. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's we'll get our conversation going here. Uh, we are uh, big believers in uh, questions that elicit uh, action uh, answers. Um, so we're going to talk about uh, cholera and how you're going to uh, defeat it yourself and what we can do to um, help you along the way. That sounds all right. Yeah, sounds great. All right. Well, she was. She just went along with it. Bam, that. yeah. That was, all right. It's not, it's wonderful. Uh, so Mimi, we have uh, one important question we like to start with. If you actually did listen to some of the other episodes, you might know uh, what it is. Instead of saying, tell us your whole life story, though I am curious how you got to where you are. Yeah. Uh, we like to ask, Mimi, why are you vital to the survival of the species? <laughs> I did hear this question and I was like, oh my God. Uh-huh. <laughs> if it makes you feel any better, I ask Brian every morning when he walks in. He's still not answered me. I will get it one day. Mm-hmm. I don't know about me specifically, but I do think that the sage research community as a whole can provide an alternative um, as we're searching for solutions to the rise of antibiotic resistance around the world. And so the way that I got started with this is that um, when I was doing my college undergrad, I was like all about global health and engineering solutions, but I really didn't know what direction to take that in. Mm -hmm. Um, So I decided to go to grad school and uh, did a PhD in microbiology at Tufts University with Andrew Camilli. And he's this well-renowned expert internationally in cholera, but he was also getting into the study of phages. And he was interested in figuring out whether or not they could be used as an intervention. And mm-hmm. when I joined his lab, I decided that that was going to be my way of contribution. Um, so I actually went to Haiti in 2014. And that must have been crazy. It was. It was definitely eye-opening. And that was four years already after the earthquake. And really it didn't seem like anything had been fixed or changed. I know there was a lot of aid that went through. And sometimes when that happens, there's redundancies and not everyone's working as efficiently as possible to make the greatest impact, unfortunately. So I had gone down to Christianville to help train some of the scientists in phage biology, but also just to study the cholera epidemic there. And that's what really gave me the motivation as to the role that I wanted to play in global health. I wanted to be not just a scientist at the bench. I wanted to actually make an impact. So when Andy and I talked afterwards, we decided to really go for it for my thesis project, do the animal model testing, see if it works. And turns out it did. So, Congratulations. Thank you. So that's what we're trying to bring to market now, which has a whole other set of challenges that we're working through. Oh, yeah. We're going to get into that. Thank you for that. Uh, Let's establish some context for today's topic, which is defeating cholera. Um, It's definitely not pronounced cholera. Not that I I, I could be totally wrong. I think I'm wrong. Don't think so. Yep. Yep. Okay. She's in the U.S. She's so kind about it. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. No, to be clear, you should definitely tell both of us whenever we're wrong in the sternest possible <laughs> yeah. town. Don't, don't, don't dance around it. Um, 
All right. So uh, we just like to get everybody, uh, the two of us, you, though I assume you're using 10% of your brain to talk to us, uh, our amazing listeners at home or on the subway or, or, or driving and texting, wherever they are, on the same page. Brian might have some questions. This won't take that long. Mimi, just tell us again everywhere we're wrong. So cholera, uh, it's not pretty. Um, a lot of folks, uh, we have listeners all over the world, but uh, in the U.S., it's it's, it's pretty exceptionally rare at this point. So, so I, yeah. I feel like people might not be as familiar with it as opposed to everywhere else, but it is a bacteria infection of the small intestine. Is that correct? Yep. And it uh, most of the time leads to uh, terrible diarrhea, sometimes within hours, uh, leading to severe dehydration uh, and often death. So three to five million people a year get it. Damn. Ranging anywhere. This is a big range, of course, depending on, on the pandemic outbreaks, 30,000 to 150,000 deaths a year. Uh, we've had seven or so pandemics over the last 200 years. Is that about right? Yeah, we're currently in the longest running one, yeah. Oh, that's great news. Well, I'll add that to my notes. Um, uh, and it mostly comes from, uh, as I understand it, unsafe water and uh, sometimes food like seafood. As far as I understand, only humans are affected by it. Um, and it seems like in a lot of things we talk about, Brian, uh, rising sea levels and flooding should make it even more prevalent. Shocker. Which is, which Shocker is that everything is connected. Yep. We know it goes back as far as the 5th century BC. Somebody found it written in Sanskrit, which is Whoa. great. Another thing we haven't fixed. And as with everything else, antibiotic resistance is growing. And you look at Zimbabwe or, I mean, Yemen. Uh, the disease is very, very real and very dangerous in a lot of places where sanitation uh, is not up to snuff. So on that note, Mimi's going to tell us how she's going to fix it. Uh, now, like like so many diseases we're, we're facing or we've talked about, uh, especially bacteria stuff, our best methods are seem to be starting to come apart at the seams, starting to fail. Uh, as, as one of our previous episodes, Dr. Gautam Dantas taught us effectively, bacteria has been around a hell of a lot longer than us mm-hmm. and is a hell of a lot smarter than us. And anything we've succeeded at seems to be the low-hanging fruit that they've kind of <laughs> let us succeed at. So, Mimi, talk to us again now what exactly you're working on, where it came from, and, and how this applies to the current situation. Sure. So, like you said, cholera is transmitted through the water primarily. It's in places that really don't have functioning water and sanitation infrastructure. But what we're increasingly starting to recognize is that 40% of the cases are actually due to household transmission as well. So when someone in a house gets cholera, unfortunately, because of the disease, it's spread everywhere and the family members are immediately at risk. So basically, there's this two-day window after the first patient comes down with cholera that the family members actually start to experience cholera symptoms themselves. And what we're specifically doing with our intervention is disrupting that transmission cycle. So what our product does is it's phage-based, so it uses phages that are specifically targeted towards the bacteria that cause cholera. Mm -hmm. And we want family members to take it when uh, the sick person comes down with cholera symptoms so that they can protect themselves within that high-risk window while they're trying to take care of their loved one. I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt there. Um, so you're saying you the sick person takes it or the family takes it in a preventative measure? The family takes it as a preventative measure. Okay, very, interesting. Yeah, so with 
any sort of diarrheal disease in global health, really the best solution is the oral rehydration salts uh, mm-hmm. solution. Sorry. And regardless of what the etiology of that disease is, ORS really is the way to go because it's cheap. It saves a lot of lives and you don't have to diagnose which bacterium caused it. And we're not using phages as a therapy for that reason. We don't think it's feasible as a therapy um, in this particular case, but as an intervention, when family, in the best case scenario, when family members bring in their sick loved one into the clinic, if they can get our product and bring it back to the household so everyone in that household is protected also during this risk window, mm-hmm. disrupt the household transmission and hopefully disrupt community transmission as well. So it's working to protect everyone immediately. So I'm going to I'm gonna try to pick some questions out from in there. Um, trying to imagine this scenario a little bit. So let's say Brian and Teddy and I uh, share a house, a small room like we are right now. Uh, Brian gets it. Well, well, maybe you got it. Nope, let's go with okay, you. Okay, I got it. <laughs> what is my... First, let's start again. Let's start, we try to dial it back to like how to make peanut butter and jelly here. Yeah. What is the what's Brian's first symptom? He's going to start. <laughs> sorry, Brian. So it's fine. no, it's fine. I'm used to it. With cholera, what happens is that basically the bacterium uh, releases a toxin mm-hmm. in the small intestine, flips mm-hmm. the switch. All of the body's water is going to start flooding into the small intestine and come out. Wow. Wow. Okay, so that's when my window, that's when my clock starts. starts ticking. So how long is my window where your 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 treatment is effective? Like how long do I have to go get that treatment before it doesn't count? Or is it just a decreasing level of effectiveness? Can you explain that a little bit? Approximately two days, the studies have shown. Okay, that's pretty that, decent. Yeah. Um, Decent. It sounds decent to us. Right. You're right. Um, that's that's yes. That's very white people troubles. <laughs> In uh, places where it's hard to get to healthcare clinics, we have to sure. think of a different model right. in order to reach those people. But in the best case scenario, where there is an infrastructure for diarrheal diseases, like in Bangladesh, for instance, there's this whole center um, that they really done a good job in trying to reduce the number of diarrheal disease deaths there. You would go into the clinic with your with the person who's sick, and then ideally we would give the product so that during that two day window that you came in, you would be protected before experiencing the symptoms yourself. Interesting. Yeah. All right, and sorry to back up real quick. Did you say forty percent of people who get cholera get get it get it from a family member or somebody close to them? Yeah, that's a. Yeah, approximately what it is. Yeah, it's a lot. It's um, something that wasn't as recognized before. Right. And even that 40%, it's everyone in the global health uh, field understands that surveillance is lacking and data is lacking. So sure, it's sure. percent with a grain of salt, but it's still a huge percentage. And if we could really disrupt that transmission, we could probably make a huge impact on the disease burden then. And how does it get transferred between people just in the air? No, it's um, it's the oral fecal route. Oh. So, Don't be bashful here. Like There's a re- you're, you're on here for a reason. <laughs> so unfortunately, with cholera, because of the rapid um, nature of the disease, your fluids are just going to come rapidly yeah, yeah. out of your body. So there's a lot 
in that household that's being spread around. And usually children are really affected by it. So if you ever try taking care of a sick child who has diarrhea, you know, it's not going to be sanitary, of course. So unfortunately, that's how the family members are going to be exposed to it just by the sheer amount that's around. Man. Okay. I just want to, again, dial it back a little bit um, and build to something eventually here. So there's no vaccine for cholera, right? The, the, the prevention is sanitation, safe drinking water. Is that right? There is a Basically. vaccine. There's a, um, there's an oral cholera vaccine that's been developed and it actually is recommended by the WHO. Hmm. And that, that side of things has been interesting in terms of the way that it's developed. But in any case, the oral cholera vaccine requires two doses um, and administered by a healthcare worker. Mm-hmm. And you take the first dose, and then a week later, you take the second dose. And a week later after that, that's when the earliest onset of protection really is. There are some studies that are trying um, to show the efficacy of just that single dose at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, but in any case, because vaccines depend on the immune system in order to mount protection, that protection is not going to be fast enough within those two days where these family members are really at risk. So that's the um, niche that we're trying to protect. If best case scenario, you have a sick family member, you get the vaccine, the first dose on day zero, you still have to wait. And by that time, it's too late. Right. Is that, is that vaccine, that oral vaccine uh, out there? Is that available uh, or distributed? It is distributed. So you said it was interesting what was going on. I'm curious (laughs) what that means. Yeah. So I think in a lot of cases, we aren't proactive enough in global health. So um, the one scenario that I could think of in recent years where um, the cholera vaccine has really been given proactively is when the Rohingya refugees went into Bangladesh um, to the Cox Bazaar. And the the diarrheal center that I mentioned previously in Dhaka, Bangladesh, they the people there really were had a lot of foresight in that they went to the WHO, asked for the number of doses to prevent cholera in this refugee population, to prevent a cholera outbreak from starting there. So that I think is an outlier in terms of how we're usually. Uh, responding to humanitarian crises like these. So if you look at Yemen, there's been a million cases of cholera there already. And that was just in the last year or so. And that's far surpassed the number of cases that happened in Haiti in seven years or eight years since um, the cholera epidemic broke out. So even though the oral cholera vaccine is out there, there's still a lot of logistical issues. There's sure. still a lot of supply and demand issues that need to be addressed. And of course, we're thinking about those for our product as well. How do we go about bypassing them? Or what can we do at the beginning stage since we're fortunate enough to learn from the lessons from before? How can we make our product more easily distributed and mm-hmm. more stable how can we really get it to the populations that need it the most um, without running into all of these complications? What form does your treatment take? Sounds like Ghostbusters. It sounds like Ghostbusters. 
choose the destroyer. Yeah. Um, so um, yeah, I'm I'm sorry again. We're just trying to paint a picture. Is it a pill? Is it a shot? Is it a patch? Sure. Um, so the animal models we did it as a liquid formulation, um, okay. but that is subject to a lot of stability issues. So there's a lot of um, countries that have cholera that are hot in humid climates. Uh-huh. So and then the culture is not uh, particularly functioning in these countries. So. Ideally, we're working right now on making it into a tablet formulation so oh, yeah. that we, it doesn't have to be stored at four degrees Celsius so that if it gets left somewhere outside for a week, it's still stable. The family members can still take it. Um, but that's something we're working on right now. Does your treatment have a, a shelf life? Can people just buy it ahead of time like the EpiPen and you know, not have to worry about uh, that window? If it, you, know, you get sick, you just open the medicine cabinet, take the treatment and you're good. No clinic. Yeah. Ideally. So there's a couple of issues with that. So with the oral collar vaccine, um, the shelf life for that, I forgot how many it's on the ninth years. Um, that has to be at four degrees Celsius right. and the WHO stockpiles 2 million doses per year, which yeah. is not a lot. Yeah. <laughs> So in order to even be a product to be distributed in that type of infrastructure, we have to have a shelf life of um, three years at least. At oh, shit. Celsius. Wow. What if you can get it to be the pill? I think we could go for much longer at a hot and humid, like 40 degrees Celsius type of weather. Mm. And what's interesting then with your question of whether you can buy it before, then it goes into how our pharmaceuticals moved around in global health. Like in a lot of countries, the informal healthcare system is what people turn to. They don't go to the clinic. They go to someone local or they go to someone who has a lot of medicines that are available yeah. that are normally mm-hmm. highly regulated in the U.S. And antibiotics happens to be one of those things that is kind of just given out sometimes without any sort of prescription. It's for us, we're still trying to figure out how we can use that to our advantage. Is it that we start off with the stage product and really start building up the stage manufacturing distribution, uh, actual community and ecosystem where phages can be distributed like antibiotics so that if we have a stable stage tablet, it can be given over the counter. Um, so that's something we're trying to work out and figure out what is the best way to actually get into the hands of the people in a safe manner. What, what are the geopolitically the biggest problem areas uh, right now? Where to start? <laughs> Great. I know. Sorry. The places where it'll be hardest to do cholera prevention are places that have war. So I mentioned Yemen, but the Democratic Republic of Congo actually has just like a steady state of high cholera cases because of what's going on there. And when people are dying, it's really hard to say, like, no, you can't use antibiotics. No, you can't. Like, they don't. It doesn't matter to them, the global trend of antibiotic resistance. Right. So Mm -hmm. it's hard to say to them, no, I know you have this medicine in your hand that you believe that is going to work, but I don't want you to take it <laughs> or I don't want the government to distribute it. In terms of navigating that, how do we tell 
ministries of health, for instance, we need to start looking for other alternatives or you need to start distributing this other alternative that we think is going to be successful, but there's no test case for it right now. Mm-hmm. Navigating that and getting people to adopt to that, I think is going to be quite difficult, especially in the face of civil war and refugee camps sure. when there is so much need. Do and and I recognize you're you're I mean you guys are just you're you're so far from this you're just coming out of animal trials right now which is great but you know existing things like the vaccine and such or or just OS the, the oral treatments facing looking at countries like Yemen which are just destroyed in so many ways how do they break down their efforts as opposed to maybe just trying to help somewhere that's a little bit easier first or what are the, like how do they approach a situation like that how how is that being handled i've been talking to a few people about this so for the oral cholera vaccine the way that it's distributed it's really dependent on the people on the ground the organizations working on the ground so mm-hmm. msf any local organizations that really know the area and the culture you have to depend on them and trust your local partners to distribute and understand all of the complications that would come with that in that setting. And I would say that we're still figuring it out. Like the global health community is still figuring it out, obviously, since cholera is still around and it's been around, like you said, since the, what do you say? Long time. Yeah. Long time BC or something. And, you know, the best case is really doing a whole infrastructure overhaul, but a lot of the governments simply don't have the money like if you look at Haiti, for instance, UN, when they finally admitted, oh, our bad. <laughs> Sorry about the cholera outbreak. Oh, I mean, what a, that just did not get in. I know it was a couple of years ago now, but oh, my God. Yeah, I was. And also, it astounds me the number of people that I talked to about this years later, and they don't know anything about it. They, in case. Why don't um, you recap that super quick for us and tell everybody what actually Yeah, I think, like you said, it, it not being a, as big an issue here, I think a lot of people just have no idea. Yeah. Um, so, earthquake struck Haiti in 2010, um, devastated the whole area, and then that meant a lot of service. People were coming in to help out, and that's great, but as part of it, when the UN workers from Nepal came in, Unfortunately, there wasn't enough screening. There wasn't enough training as to how human waste should be handled Mm -hmm. um, while they're in the country. And someone had cholera and it went into the water. The water, because of the flooding in the area, it just spread throughout the country so quickly. Right now, it's kind of sad. So the cholera epidemic is slowing down in Haiti, not because there's been really any changes to the infrastructure or the prevention, but in part because so many people in Haiti have gotten cholera and survived it, that they're immune to it. So one of the factors in the epidemic slowing down is that previous exposure. And that's so interesting because it is in effect an island. And it's so curious what that's going to do to the, the survival rate there. Yeah, and now cholera is stuck there. It's like in the water. And unless Uh, there's sanitation infrastructure that um, gets put in place for it, the people are going to continue to get cholera over the next few generations if they haven't had previous exposure to it. So the UN finally owned up to the part that they played in it. 
it's hard. Like we do get angry, but we also have to understand that the global health community as a whole, we have to make sure that we don't get into our silos, that we're not fighting each other because we all want the same thing. So understandably, the UN, there was a lot going on and I've never been in a situation where an earthquake just happened and you have to be mm-hmm. on the ground. I'm sure there's a lot of issues that come along, but of course. they really did fuck up. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh. so they admitted to it being their fault and they committed money to helping with the infrastructure, but I really haven't seen much come out of that. And oh, really? hauling infrastructure takes time and it takes a lot of money and it takes sure. a lot of political will and stuff like that. So that's what happened. Unfortunately, it's still going on. If you go down there, there's still cholera epidemic still breaking out. Yeah, and it's been eight it's years. It's not in our news cycle. Yeah. <laughs> well, of course, it's not in our news cycle, but that's the entire point of what we're trying to do here. Right, yeah, right. Exactly. I should note as a brief like intermission to our majority American listeners, again, we don't really ha- have uh, cholera here. I'm sure there's cases here and there. Uh, but we are not perfect. You might be pretty happy with your sanitation systems and your Brita filters. Uh, but have a look at Flint, Michigan. Uh, look at our flooding, our sea level rise. Uh, and that's just starting. You know, it, it just takes a case or two to come over here on a plane. And, and we're dealing with this, too. I don't want to be a scaremonger. I never try to be. But um, both in thinking about how you and we're going to work towards this, uh, how you take action to help these folks, uh, infrastructure and and war wise and how you vote and where you donate your money. Um, reminder, these, these things can come home and, uh, we're, we're facing a whole lot of interconnected, uh, threats that can bring these things to our doorstep pretty quickly. Um, so just, uh, you know, don't tune out on this one. Hey, it's Brian Quinn's in the bathroom. I got a quick favor. Every podcast you listen to begs you for a rating and a review on Apple podcasts. Here's why. Not everybody listens on Apple Podcasts, like you might not be doing right now, but 70% of our listeners do, and most podcast listeners do. Uh, And the top charts are a huge source of even more new listeners. So here's the deal. Some unholy combination of downloads and ratings and reviews drive up those top charts, and we like being on those top charts and getting new listeners. So we need your help. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts right this second, it's super easy. It'll take five seconds. If you're staring at the episode screen, just swipe down all the way down at the bottom, And then there's a little library button. Hit it. And then tap our show. Scroll all the way down to ratings and reviews and and just do it. There's five stars. Just hit hit the stars. And then and that takes like a second. And then and then you can get hit hit the review and then write a review. And that takes like five seconds. I'll I'll wait for you. Okay, thank you. Thanks for doing that. Hey guys, it's Quinn. If you're listening to this, you obviously like podcasts, and you probably like music too. On Spotify, you can listen to all of that in one place for free. You don't even need a premium account. On Spotify, you can follow your favorite podcasts, so you never miss an episode. You can download episodes to listen to offline, wherever you might be, and you can easily share what you're listening to with your friends via Spotify's integrations with social platforms like Instagram. Spotify has a huge catalog of podcasts on every topic, including the one you're listening to right now. You can just search for Important Not Important on the Spotify app or browse podcasts in the Your Library tab. Very convenient. And of course, you can follow us so you never miss an episode of Important Not Important 
Uh, Spotify is the world's leading music streaming service, and now it can be your go-to for podcasts, too. All right, so you're moving past animal trials. That's very exciting. Congratulations. Very. <laughs> Thank you. Now, on the flip side of that, what sort of obstacles are you running into? Uh, funding. <laughs> That's always the answer, isn't it? So weird. Number one answer. Weird that that's always what people think of. How, um, how have you been funded to date? How did this whole shebang started? Yeah, so Andy um, is at Tufts University and he's a tenured professor, so he has NIH grants. Um, he also mm-hmm. was a Howard Hughes Medical Institute investigator. Okay, what the hell does that mean? And that was <laughs> that's like a really prestigious appointment where Howard Hughes Medical Institution. Uh, is a nonprofit that will select certain professors that are really making advances in science for humanity, and they'll give them millions of dollars. So Andy was one of those professors. And then I was coming in during his, it's like five-year appointments. So I was coming in during his second five-year appointment as a grad student. So a lot of the money, including a fellowship that I got from that same institution, actually funded my Haiti trip mm-hmm. and funded a lot of my supplies and stuff. So oh. that's the academic funding. And then right now we're looking to move out of Tufts University so we can have our own space. And we're just starting to do a fundraising push now. So we have to be quite diverse in our portfolio as opposed to a lot of other biotech startups that are money-making ventures. <laughs> um, so we're not going to VCs or angels, really, because I can't promise them a 10x return on something. Um, right. But really, how much is human life in terms of... Right. Like, well, I mean, that just comes back to the fact that, we're, you know, Silicon Valley is, is focusing on, on all the wrong fucking things. Um, yeah, exactly. So um, we applied to a grant from the NIH, which is specifically for small businesses, um, we're looking at the Welcome Trust. Hopefully there's um, grant money there. What's the Welcome Trust? Like similar to Gates Foundation mm-hmm. uh, in terms of the amount of help it gives global health. It's out in the UK. Okay. It funds a lot of basic science research. It funds postdocs, professors. It funds global collaborations. There's like a whole bunch of stuff in its portfolio. But it's one of the biggest contributors to basic science research in the Western world, at least. That's interesting, the the the, the funding and the, you know, what you're able to offer in return, which sounds insane because what you're offering is to, to fix one of the world's oldest uh, <laughs> bacteria-focused diseases. Uh, and that's, that's what they're getting in return, uh, which is... Yeah, come on. It's a pretty big return. I get it. I understand. But, um, and you guys aren't a nonprofit, right? So people can't, uh, it's there, you know, these, these institutional investors or, or, or angel investors or VCs or whatever, that's, this is not a, uh, a charitable cause, right? Right. So what we've decided recently is we were incorporated as a, like a traditional C Corp. Um, we're looking at converting into a public benefits corporation. So that means that, mm-hmm our shareholders, if we don't choose the more commercial path to go down for our company, uh, we can't um, be held liable for that. We have a social mission. It's built in um, to our charter. So that's what we're looking to convert to. And the reason that we chose for-profit is because 
of this small business grant of the funds that can go to small businesses. We wanted to take advantage of mm. a lot of the funding available for biotech startups because um, ultimately we still are a biotech startup just with a prioritization in global health. So we're trying to ride both worlds basically. And it's been interesting because I'm at an intersection of not only biology, global health, but business as well, which is not usual, I feel like. So I'm trying to balance all of those um, communities and figure out the best way forward for our organization as to how to take advantage of all the resources. It sounds like there's a lot of calculations there. Like they're like there's definitely trade-offs one way or another. Like you can't be a nonprofit or else you can't apply for the small business grants because a nonprofit is not a small business. And yet at the same time, you can't promise 10x uh returns to somebody because et cetera, et cetera. You really yeah. because this is not a drug or a treatment that that should be this immensely profitable thing. Right. So then we have to start being creative. And there's been a lot of time spent on okay, maybe we should reach out to family offices. So high net worth individuals right. usually have someone manage their money. Mm-hmm. Maybe we reach out to them. We can reach out to um, foundations that give grants. Mm-hmm. We can, I was thinking, I don't have the network for this, but if you guys do, that'd be great. Um, reaching out to people who are rich in the countries that have cholera. Mm-hmm. Because in the US, like you said, not many people know about it. Um, they do. It's thought of as a disease that um, has already been eliminated in a lot of the world. Sure. But let's say someone who grew up in India, someone who grew up in Nepal, they grow up knowing about cholera. And if they have the funds for it, I wonder if they would be philanthropic about it and contribute sure. as well. So that was one of my strategies. Hasn't really panned out yet. Well, I mean, look, clearly you got to be pretty wide ranging and flexible. Good news is apparently a lot of parts of America have stopped vaccinating their children. So all of these diseases that Americans are like, oh, that's dead. They're coming back and we're being made more aware of them Mm -hmm. because these fucking idiots think they're smarter than their doctors. Oh, yeah, that's great news. (sighs) Really good news. (laughs) So maybe a a big cholera outbreak will happen here and then some rich people from here will help out. Perfect. Great. Great, great. great. We got you all set up. Hey, um, I want to pause before we get to our our action steps here and get, get, uh, get emotional for a second. Do you feel like now you're on the right path personally you mentioned you didn't know exactly how to apply yourself uh in this specific capacity looking at where you are now uh trying to decide how to focus your company legally uh funding wise how to move into human trials the impact you can have and the difficulties uh the wide-ranging and incredibly complex difficulties of distribution and war Do, do you feel like you're going in the right direction mimi Yeah, I could say for the first time since I started the company, I feel like everything's pulling together. So I incorporated with Andy and another co-founder, Lynn, in 2016 in October. Mm -hmm. And it was right on the cusp of me finishing up my PhD. I actually started a part-time master's in public health degree program as well at Boston University at the same time. Part-time, part-time master's degree. Yeah, wait, and, and I also... No, no big. I also want to pause. Did you say you finished your, your PhD? Yeah, two oh. years ago. So oh, I, like, I, 
decided my PhD thesis and then incorporated in the same week. <laughs> and we uh, have, have failed to address you as doctor this whole time, which is great. Yeah, Let's just not good. Sorry. Start oh, no, over, yeah. Brian. Very sorry about that. Start the whole fucking thing over. <laughs> God damn it. Oh, no. If being called doctor is like a little weird. For me. No, I get it. But you know what? And and maybe you don't feel this way, but I've, I've got some uh, some incredibly smart and hardworking lady doctorates uh in my family and i uh you know think it's so important for young people men and women to to know about young young women such as yourself that are that are that have gone through it and succeeded and uh hear the word doctor and have that respect it's a big deal i think it's important Thank you. Um, Anyway, sorry. I feel like that's a no, no worries. I feel like I could talk all day about women representation and women of color representation. But in any case, it's like a whole other. We're we're happy to run it back and do that one next time. Yeah. So, anyways, you were saying that now you feel like, please keep going. Uh, Yeah, it was it was a lot of hats to wear um, two years ago, and I kind of felt like I was drowning in all of it because I didn't know anything about business. I didn't, I was like trying to finish my degree and it ultimately is incredibly helpful, especially in my line of work. But it was December last year Mm -hmm. where I've gotten so many no's from people that I was like, all right, I have one year before my student loans kick in. (laughs) Right. I have to either get enough traction that I think it's worth it. Mm Or I'm just going to have to put it aside for now and think of something else. So in January of this year, I started pushing hard on all fronts to really get the name out there. And it's overwhelming to go from two years of no's to finally some person being like, oh, (laughs) I can help you out. And that's how I found my other co-founder in April. And that felt awesome just having like someone else to bounce ideas off of and then finally signing matt on as our head of business development and marketing i was like oh my god i have a team like someone believes in me (laughs) and then since then uh, we just went through a summer program at mass bio which is this nonprofit in the boston area that connects a lot of academics with um, the business side of things to help them through because a lot of us don't really know how to exactly take something from the lab to the market Getting into that program, having 12 mentors sit down, focus on me for an hour each week. That was, yeah, something that I never imagined (laughs) (laughs) that I would ever have the privilege of doing. So it's been amazing Um, and a little scary, gotta say. I like, I was like, I like, you're like, oh, nobody will help me. And then you're like, wait, why am I sitting in the middle of these 12 people? And they're all, uh, it's very, it's quite the switch. Yeah, exactly. And then, um, the MIT Tech Review was, I thought I was dreaming when I actually got on the list. So for my part, I am very optimistic about how we're moving forward. There's a lot of generous people out there that are willing to give expertise. They're willing to provide time. And I think for my part, I need to do a good job of aligning all of those resources so that they can be used most effectively and efficiently um, to move forward. And that's been a hard lesson since I've always been kind of all over the place. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But learning to manage, learning to actually have workflow processes, like all the project manager skills and stuff that I never thought I would need. 
um, are really being put to the test right now. So I am very excited going forward. That's awesome. That is that is a hell of an answer and a and a candid one uh, like that. <laughs> well, well, Brian is uh, opening up. Is that your wallet? Yes. <laughs> are you considering donating to my college? It's very possible. It's very, you know, I, I got to tell you though, Mimi, he offered to buy me avocado toast like an hour and a half ago. That didn't happen either. So don't fucking hold your breath. Okay. Um, Quinn, is, oh. Quinn is so generous that anytime I even try or reach anything, reach for my wallet, offer anything, he always says no. It's not my fault. I didn't do it. Okay, we'll see. You refuse, but this is a good. Um, we, this is a good segue. All right. So we've said we've mentioned before. Obviously, cholera isn't uh, super prominent in the U.S. anymore, but obviously, it is hellish nightmare in in so many other places. Mm-hmm. That's uh, the technical term. Still, yeah. No, I yep. know. I'm 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 technical. Yep. Uh, yeah. So uh, you know, from medicine to sanitation to distribution to war, it's a huge issue. What can our listeners do? How can our listeners help support both your research? Uh, and uh, cholera prevention efforts uh, around the world. Obviously, money. Money helps. Yeah, but let's get specific. But yeah. Where yeah. where where should they be applying themselves? Uh, let's, let's start with, yeah, individual actions. If we wanted to talk about donating, um, it's really the organizations that are doing a lot of work on the ground in terms of distribution, and mm-hmm. that would be organizations like Doctors Without Borders. It would be UNICEF. There's uh, Gavi, which is the Vaccine Alliance, and I would say Partners in Health does a lot of community health worker work that mm-hmm. is absolutely amazing, um, and they reach places that um, a lot of the clinics don't reach. So people who are helping refugees, who are helping the populations that don't normally have access to even primary health care, those are the places you want to donate to because those are the ones who will be involved in the actual distribution of if whether it be hand washing services or mm-hmm. vaccines, they're going to have the logistics and the infrastructure to set that up. And then for funding basic research, there's a lot of nonprofits on the West Coast, actually, in Seattle, my dream mm-hmm. city. Um, the it's so pretty city. up there. I've never been, but I feel like I would love it. You got to go. It's so green and <laughs> it's beautiful. A pretty, it's pretty great. I feel like it'd be my soul city. Um, so there is the Infectious Diseases Research Institute. Um, that's the main one that you want to look into donating. They do a lot of, they're a nonprofit, but they're a research institute that's looking to take translational drugs um, for TB, malaria, all of the big hitters out there. What What do you feel like are the big actionable questions we should be asking of our of our representatives? So, you know, we've gone from clicks you can take with a mouse, but when someone uses a tool like fivecalls.org or, or something or, or writes a letter, uh, however that works, I guess with a pen and a paper or something of that nature. What? Um, yeah. Handwritten, um, very intimate. You know, uh, <laughs> and, and, and is actually speaking to their representative or they're at a town hall. Um, you know, it, again, it's a particularly not difficult, but almost out of left field one, which it shouldn't be because it, but it's because it's not here, you know, what should they be talking to their representatives about? Sure. Um, so that's something that I struggle with as well, because I'm, I am very cholera focused, but with my global health training now, it really is 
strengthening infrastructure. It's looking at primary healthcare systems and building that up. It's building up distribution and stuff. Um, so instead of just talking about callers specifically, I would say there are policies that the U.S. takes that affect global health on a wide scale. U.S. government is one of the biggest funders of global health services. And the biggest executive order that has made a huge impact since it was signed is the global gag order. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure if you guys have heard about it. It was signed um, in January 2017, I believe. And it's called also called the Mexico City policy, I think. But basically, it is protecting, they say it's protecting life and global health. So any healthcare center that is funded by U.S. money that gives access to contraception and abortion services, they can't do that anymore. And Mm. that from not only a maternal and child health view is terrible, but also these healthcare clinics are not only specifically providing this, they're helping with HIV, they're helping with ORS and helping with diarrheal diseases. So they can lose half of their funding and try to do operations that way and try to do everything that they can to treat all the other diseases with half of their operational funding, or they can reduce their abortion services and contraceptive services. So it really has made a huge impact globally, this particular gag order. So when people talk to their representatives about it, more people need to actually know that it happened, first of all, and fight back against it. That's insane. Yeah, that's pretty concise. I, I mean, yeah. that is the exact type of thing I don't think anybody has heard about. And if they did, they've probably fucking forgotten because as I look out the window, there's just flames everywhere. Uh, anyway, <laughs> anyways, we have we have uh, we have kept you for a little bit here. We can not thank you enough uh, for coming on today. Yeah, for sure. Oh, Thanks for letting pleasure. us be your, your first. Yeah, we're, to be clear, you're not out of here yet. Don't don't oh, pack up. Yeah, and run. hold just on. Okay. Easy. I'm just thanking you. Easy. <laughs> um, um, who uh, who else should we uh, talk to, Doctor Yen? Other other world changers out there uh, like you uh, that we could sit down and chat with, and it doesn't have to be uh, people specifically in uh, your field of work, but um, somebody who's kicking ass on cancer or trying to save the world from climate change uh, or uh, trying to send us to space. Uh, any anything. You can always just email us uh, these to us later, but I think people like to hear names as well. But yeah, yeah. A- any ideas uh, would be awesome. Well, from a science perspective, I would say the scientist who just recently won the Nobel Prize for her directed evolution of enzymes, that's super cool from a pharmaceutical yeah. and a I'm trying to make a greener industry. Um, that's Dr. Frances Arnold. If you can get her, that would be so I would, really awesome. I would like the Nobel Prize winner. That'd be great. Yeah, sure. That sounds easy. <laughs> no big deal. Oh, yeah. That's totally fine. <laughs> well, you guys reach for the stars, you know, see what you come up with. <laughs> yeah, perfect. Thanks for making it easy, jerk. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's great. Seriously, thank you. And if, um, you, if you do think of any more, we'll, we'll take any wrecks. Yeah, I will definitely email. Groovy. Thank you. All right. We have a little uh, uh, lightning round of questions for you. Yep. Uh, First one. <laughs> <laughs> Not a lightning round question, but here we go. Shut up, Brian. Um, hey, Mimi, when was the first time in your life when you realized you had the power of change or the power to do something meaningful? Oh, um, this oh. year. <laughs> good, good, good first reaction. Did you say this year? 
Yeah. Okay. Oh, cool. Let's hear it. Um, and I actually, so I called myself chief scientific officer for a very long time. I didn't think I had the expertise or the experience to be CEO of a biotech startup, a global health startup, whatever. And then I went to the MIT Women's Unconference, or I got selected to be among um, the people who could pitch there. And that's when I was like, oh, <laughs> I'm actually a badass. something that people recognize as good sure. work. Um, and I promoted myself. So. <laughs> good. <laughs> yeah. Fucking awesome, man. Well-deserved. So yeah, that was really the first time when I believed in myself, really, because I just thought I was a veg scientist. So I just thought I would science the shit out of it and then other people <laughs> would take it and run and actually do some good with it. But this year is when I decided I would be the person to do something with it. Fuck yeah, man. That's so important. I love Keep that. Keep that confidence strong and alive. Um, <laughs> yeah, we, we, we literally need it. Hey, Mimi, who is someone in your life that has positively impacted your work in the past six months? It cannot be Brian. <laughs> oh, God, that was my first answer. <laughs> we know, we know, and it's much appreciated. Um, I would have to say Andrew Camilli, who is my PI advisor and now my co-founder. I think it's very rare for a professor, a tenured professor especially, to be so generous with his time, his work, really giving credit and career support to the people in his lab instead of just using them as minions. Mm -hmm. So without his support, I would definitely not be here today. Awesome. That's awesome. That's nice. What do you do when you feel overwhelmed with all this work? Specifically? What's your what's your self-care? Oh, my God. Do you, flaming hot Cheetos. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Amazing. All of my friends know that once I go into a dark place, I need just so many in this line, by I the way. There's not Speaking of things that can cause cholera. Yeah. <laughs> I, ha I have to say my uh, my girlfriend is a huge fan of Flaming Hot Cheetos. That is her like, uh, you know, one uh, thing also. And uh, just to punch myself up a little bit here for her birthday, I got her a cake that was shaped like a bag of them. Oh, hey, look at you. Pretty, pretty good. <laughs> Thankfully, they didn't taste like them because I think they're horrendous. But if that's your thing, get it, girl. You know, on the West, I'm actually in L.A. right now. On the West oh, Coast, great. you guys have extra Flaming Hot Cheetos, and that has been magical. <laughs> you know what? what Magic, if necessary, uh, not so much. Extra Flaming Hot? Are <sighs> they just jet black? Can you imagine sitting in that conference room? Hey, I got I got the idea. I got it. I know what we're going to do. Extra. Should we just call it extra? Yeah. Uh, just extra. It's gonna... twice as hot. I call them my black label Cheetos because they're that good. <laughs> I'm going to have to find these. We're in LA too. They must be at my local 7-Eleven or whatever. Exactly. <sighs> All right. I'm going to get them. Thank you for that. My girlfriend's going to be very happy. Oh, Jesus. All right, Brian. Bring it home. Uh, here we enough. go. Uh, how do you consume the news, Dr. Yen? That's changed over the past year. So as I'm sure everyone is trying to struggle with, how do you make sure that you're not pulled into this deep pit of despair when you read the news recently? Mm -hmm. So I try to stay informed, but briefly. So like the New York Times morning and evening briefing, the Daily Scam, like mm -hmm. short things and headlines in the moment when I really want to dig into something. I actually do my research and I go on Google and try to look for more articles, opinions about it. And I do try to make sure that I'm getting 
all perspectives. So as angry as we are, I am in the camp that we need to understand where everyone's coming from in order to actually solve the root of a problem. Like when you go into a negotiation, you think, okay, what is the other person wanting? What are they, what are their motivations for feeling the way they do, wanting the things that they want? And perhaps that's not the solution that most people come with. But for me, that's the perspective I need so that we can all come to the same page. So I try to make sure that now that I know the echo chamber exists on social media, that I, um, at least during my readings of the news, I make sure to look at other um, perspectives as well. And not only U.S., also how internationally, how people write about issues in the U.S. as well, because I think there's a lot to learn from other um, governments and other people out there. Why is she so rational? I know. What <laughs> What are you talking about? No, that's amazing. Uh, I'm so thankful that people like you that are out there world changing have that perspective and make those efforts because it, it really is absolutely necessary. Yeah. Imagine our world if there was a whole bunch of people that thought like you. There'd be so <laughs> Everything would be so much better. Um, I mean, I'm a slow burner, so I will <laughs> probably get angry like two years down the line. Sure, sure. <laughs> right. About something that someone said previously. Sure. Uh, but I try to be rational in the moment so that it's not escalating things beyond our control. Right, right. In a are, you, are you like that with jokes as well? Or are you the person who like gets in the elevator a minute later and is like, fuck, I had a great joke? <laughs> <laughs> No, no, I'm pretty good on my jokes. <laughs> no problems with the jokes. No problem with the jokes. Never. Also, you know, when no. you do get angry in two years for whatever thing, you could just sit back, relax, and cool down with a nice bag of extra hot flaming Cheetos. <laughs> yeah, right. Play. Um, all right. Enjoy your uh, gastrointestinal distress. <laughs> oh, yeah. I just really like to feel the pain of mm. the people, you know. <laughs> We, one more, I got one more, well, not one more, but here's the next question. And this is, we haven't even talked about this gentleman really today, which is fantastic. Thank God. But if you could Amazon Prime uh, one book to Donald Trump, what would that book be? <laughs> I'm sure some people have said this Mountains Beyond Mountains. Oh, yeah. I yeah. Think, did we, we may have just gotten that like, well, maybe not the last one, but they'll write the previous one. I think one pretty here. recently. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yep. Yeah. It's um, the 15th anniversary of the book coming out. So it's probably on people's minds. But, oh yeah okay yeah mountains beyond mountains would be a fantastic one i think excellent what do you feel like he could get from that most specifically perspective i think privilege is not a bad thing a lot of us have privilege i have privilege mm -hmm. it's understanding what to do with it mm -hmm. and how to use it to really advocate for people who don't have it mm -hmm. and mountains beyond mountains you have this white doctor going in and you can argue that he might have a God complex or he might have the white savior complex. And mm -hmm. those are issues that we definitely have to make sure that we're aware of and cognizant of when we go and help developing countries. But at least he's still helping <laughs> and sure. doing so in a way that's empowering the local community and really relying on people to build themselves up in those communities as well. So he's using his privilege to help others. And that's an important lesson for us all, I think, not just Trump, but a lot of people in the U.S. Sure. Uh, Dr. Yan, where can our listeners follow you on the Internet? 
<laughs> I uh, don't do social media very often. I oh, okay. like to lurk and follow other people. Sure. Oh, She's a stalker. Sure. <laughs> maybe, where, where can they uh, maybe follow your work or anything like that? So we do have a website. It's poorly done. I had to do it in a pinch. Perfect. Welcome. Excellent. Ours too. <laughs> so that is www.sageproinc.com. And I'll post press releases once in a blue moon about stuff that we do. I need to hire like a social media intern or something, but sure. you can follow me through there. I'm available. Are you? <laughs> Wait a minute. What? <laughs> we'll talk it's privately. It's like an empty promise again. <laughs> good, again. good, good. <laughs> this has been great. Dr. Yen, Mimi for short. Uh, we can't thank you enough for, for all that you're doing, for all that you're going to do. Brian and I were talking before he didn't buy me avocado toast about how much we enjoy. I mean, now every fucking day I'm going to buy it for you. I'm trying to say something. How much we enjoy bringing on folks who are on the cusp of doing something really fantastical and world beating, mostly so we can say we got there first, but also because it's so exciting and, um, and there's so much, so much hope in your eyes still. Um, <laughs> you know the light has gone out. Yeah, keep it, right. keep it will. It. it will. No, um, but you know we're we're excited, and and we we just want to say thanks for for taking the time uh, to come on. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure talking to you guys. Really fun too for my first podcast. So oh, yeah. it's all downhill from here. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, Doctor Yan, thank you so much. We will uh, talk to you again soon for sure. All right. Sounds good. All Have right, good guys. Thanks to our incredible guest today. And thanks to all of you for tuning in. We hope this episode has made your commute or awesome workout or dishwashing or fucking dog walking late at night that much more pleasant. As a reminder, please subscribe to our free email newsletter at importantnotimportant.com. It is all the news most vital to our survival as a species. And you can follow us all over the internet. You can find us on Twitter at Important Not Imp. Just so weird. Also on Facebook and Instagram at Important Not Important. Pinterest and Tumblr, the same thing. So check us out, follow us, share us, like us. You know the deal. And please subscribe to our show wherever you listen to things like this. And if you're really fucking awesome, rate us on Apple Podcasts. Keep the lights on. Thanks. Please. And you can find the show notes from today right in your little podcast player and at our website, importantnotimportant.com. Thanks to the very awesome Tim Blaine for our jamming music, to all of you for listening, and finally, most importantly, to our moms for making us. Have a great day. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.